everybody. Welcome back to Faithful. My name is Emma. My name is Christina. Uh, and today is a really special episode because uh, we have a guest with us today. Uh, his name is Terry. Um, and we, he, we found him and know him from his uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, at Prayers from Terry. Uh, Christina, do you want to keep going? Yeah. Uh, would, would you like to introduce yourself, Terry? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you all so much for having me. It's good to be here. This is actually my first time doing an interview related to the Prayers from Terry project. So it's a special for me. Um, But yeah, I am a youth pastor in New Jersey, and I just finished uh, my Master of Divinity program at Princeton Seminary. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And this is a project I started... um, last November and just it was really just a fun little thing that I was doing completely for my own use and then uh, it sort of just grew and grew and here we are yeah that's great <laughs> um I figure if you're okay with it we can kind of start off with like the basic questions when when it comes to people talking about their faith sure would you like to talk a little bit about your kind of faith journey and what it's been like up to this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I was born in to the church. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents um, grew up in and around church and they made professions of faith in college as part of campus ministry. So they um, raised my sister and I as part of that same evangelical world that they, uh, through which they came to know Christ and I ended up going to a Southern Baptist megachurch in middle school and high school. And yeah. that was really, really lovely and powerful and formative in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, damaging and deformative in some ways that I was not able to see until much later. But overall, yeah. you know, as I'm speaking to you now, having done the process of deconstruction or reconstruction, I really only have positive vibes and positive memories sure. of those uh mm-hmm. however many years let's see fourth to twelfth grade so uh is that six years yeah <laughs> yeah yeah six eight eight years yeah i'm very glad to hear that you are that you're someone who has been able to you know like think think through and process your experience from a mega church i mm-hmm. so often i hear a lot about like people who attended mega churches at various points and they didn't necessarily come out of it with i i'm i'm going to say just like a reasonable tally of how it benefited and how it was less than beneficial right right thank you yeah yeah i uh was able to meet a lot of people at seminary who um had similar backgrounds to me evangelical backgrounds whether mega church or um, smaller church. And yeah, we were able to kind of uh, commiserate with one another, stand in solidarity with one another, and also kind of mm-hmm. walk the same path of self-discovery. And as I mentioned, deconstruction and reconstruction together. Um, so yeah, for me, I had a really strong foundation from those years. We had uh, two full-time youth pastors that really mentored me and helped me to take ownership of my faith. Um, I actually made a profession of faith really young when I was five. (laughs) Um, But it was not until around high school that I began to walk with Christ on a daily basis and to have spiritual practices and kind of a robust faith in that way. Um, And I felt 
yeah, I felt a um, general call to vocational ministry mm-hmm. my junior year of high school. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, and so my youth pastors helped me to test and discern that call. They gave me opportunities to lead, to preach, to, uh, to, to teach Bible study, um, to play in our, our praise band. And so all of those things were kind of helping me to sort of narrow what my understanding of God's call was on my life. Um, and then in college, I um, led music for campus ministry mm-hmm. and uh, continued to be expanded in my in my understanding of all the different ways in which God could be worshipped and all the different expressions of spirituality that were possible. Um, I went to a much smaller compared to my mega church, but yeah, about like medium size compared to general the general uh, average size of church in America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a medium sized black charismatic non denominational church in college. So that was really special for me because it was um, healing in many ray- ways to be part of a unapologetically black church after mm-hmm. um, so long in a predominantly white church. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that. That was powerful for me. And then I went to work as the worship intern at a um, predominantly white Presbyterian church, conservative Presbyterian church in Charlottesville, Virginia, after college. That was my introduction to formal liturgy, okay, to okay. reformed reformed spirituality. Um, so that was hard at first. I did not like it, but then over time, God uh, kind of warmed me up to it, mm-hmm. and so I kind of like put that in my in my tool belt. Um, and then I went from there to seminary, and uh, two things happened. One, I was working at an Episcopal church. So that was my introduction, not only to the Episcopal tradition, but also to the concept of having a woman pastor. I had never even, I don't think I'd ever even like conceived of the possibility of it before that. (laughs) Yeah, I I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was just really powerful, but also kind of confusing, right? Just throwing you into some cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm looking at her and I'm saying to myself, okay, she's clearly called by God to do what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. clearly not grieving the Holy Spirit by being a pastor. So I, I must not have all the information that I need to, mm-hmm. to understand the scriptures and to understand the worldview that I was brought up in. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I took the first summer of seminary to check out all the books I could from the library on First um, mm-hmm. Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 and just broader hermeneutical and historical uh, arguments and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so when I came to the point of having that light bulb moment, um, I had been pursuing the PCA, the conservative uh, Presbyterian denomination that I was part of in Charlottesville. But Mm -hmm. then at the point where I um, became affirming of women in leadership, I, that, that door became closed. So that was when I began to Mm -hmm. think more seriously about the Episcopal tradition Mm-hmm. And um, I talked to my priest from All Angels Church, which is the, the church I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And she said, if you are interested in the priesthood, that's awesome. But I would encourage you to do your um, discernment for the priesthood with another church besides us, because I don't want you to base your perception of the Episcopal Church as a whole 
just on All Angels because sure. All Angels was a very is a very unique church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not very representative of kind of your like average. Uh, yeah. The, the, the term is broad. So there's like low, broad, high. Um, okay. different okay. worship styles in the Episcopal Church. So All Angels is like low, but also like very cross-cultural, very socioeconomically diverse, mm-hmm. a lot of community mm-hmm. organizing, a lot of folks from either non-church backgrounds or evangelical backgrounds. So all that to say, I worshiped at a couple of different churches just to kind of get a feel of the breadth of the tradition. Sure. And um, the, the big Episcopal Church in Princeton is more... Uh, kind of more steeped in your like Anglican choral tradition and organ and choir, mm-hmm. um, more, more kind of, I think a little bit more representative of the, the worship style that you'll see at most Episcopal churches. So okay. it was good to see that. But then I eventually found my way to the church I was at for about two years, yeah, which is a, a historically black Episcopal church in Harlem. So yeah, yeah. So um, that same priest, even though she worked on the Upper West Side, she lived in Harlem. And so I had another conversation with her where she spoke about her heart for Harlem and the church, the Episcopal churches in Harlem. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I never even considered that there could be black Episcopalians or a black Episcopal church. Sure. So I found this church online after doing just a basic Google search and yeah. they had a, like about us page. And so they had the history of the church going back to 1808. And I was just blown oh, wow. away by the legacy. And I actually found two books at our library at the seminary about St. Philip's. And so I had read those before even darkening the door of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I got there, they had a new rector that had gotten there just a couple months before I had gotten there. And so Mm -hmm. he took me under his wing and I ended up really, really falling in love with the church. So that was a very, very long answer to your question, but that's kind of my, my spiritual background. No, that's okay. I, I always find that it helps to have like to have a good foundation, especially when like doing an interview, because then that helps kind of, you know, lay lay the groundwork for if anyone else has any questions, that then they can just go back to the beginning of the episode and listen <laughs> to it again. Right, right. Yeah. So you're still at um, that last church that you mentioned. I was there up until about a month ago. Okay. I. Um, accepted a position as youth pastor at a church in New Jersey. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, the, there is a little bit of disappointment in that, but a lot of joy as well. The sure. disappointment is that um, I have been and still am seeking the priesthood in the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but due to both um, sort of the inertia of a very old tradition like the Episcopal Church, particularly in my diocese of New York, as well as everything with covid Things did not proceed such that I could enter the, the formal part of the process, sure. um, which would hopefully allow me to move forward and have food on the table. Yeah. <laughs> so when yeah. that became clear to me, I had to uh, start applying for other jobs. And it was a long, twisty and turny road, but mm-hmm. um, God definitely had a plan and uh, God placed me in this church. It's in uh, RCA church. Well, it's, it's RCA and UCC. It's dually aligned. Okay. So they're, the cool thing is that they're in full communion with the Episcopal Church. Um, but the disappointing thing is that it's a little bit of a detour. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I would like to ask real quick, um, what, what do RCA and UCC mean? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I would not have been able to answer that question a couple months ago. So RCA is Reformed Church in America, and okay. UCC is United Churches of Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. So two, I guess, liturgical traditions with similar intents but different methods? Yeah, I would say that's a, a good one-sentence ex- ex- explainer of that. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still finding my footing. Um, so the church is called the Reformed Church of Highland Park, and it's mm-hmm. it's a very unique church within the larger tradition, sort of like All Angels is unique within the Episcopal tradition. So okay. part of me feels like doing a deep dive into the history of the RCA, while useful, would not necessarily give me a perfect insight into my particular parish sure. because it's sort of like the the fun uncle of of the <laughs> tradition. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I can't I can't think of a good segue. So, um <laughs> So we're just going to skip the segue entirely and start walking. Um would um you you mentioned, and we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that you've had a project ongoing since November called Prayers from Terry. That's right. How did you kind how did you kind of come up with this idea? What inspired you to to start writing these collects? Absolutely. Yeah. Um so it's it ties in pretty well to the uh story I was telling previously. So when I got to the uh, Presbyterian Church in Charlottesville, as I mentioned, that was my introduction to formal liturgy. And so one of the things I found super valuable about it was the fact that it takes away the emphasis on novelty that exists in a lot of evangelical spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up, and again, I love so much of that, and I look back on it with so much fondness, but one of the disappointing things is that your... The, the novelty or the the sense of authenticity that you have in the moment of worship, you're tempted to make that the metric of how faithful your worship is. Mm-hmm. So if I'm raising both hands and I'm crying and I'm jumping up and down, that means that worship was good today. But if I don't feel anything, I'm tempted, especially as a young person, you know, growing up with yeah. like CCM <laughs> and like watching the passion videos and like Christian Stanfield jumping up and down and everything like that. As a young person, I'm tempted to think that if I don't feel anything, that means there's something wrong with me or that God is distant from me or I'm distant from God. And so getting into this like formal liturgical context, at first, you know, I, I hate the fact that we say the same prayers over and over again every week mm-hmm. and it's like the same format. <laughs> And, you know, it feels, it feels rote because in my, my tradition that I came from, the, like, the, the cardinal sin was going through the motions, quote unquote. Um, but I had to learn that God is shaping you through worship, even when you can't perceive it, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're not having a direct emotional connection or, um, you can sense the emotional resonance that your body and your soul are having, there's still something that's happening to you. So that was really powerful for me. And then I went from there into an Episcopal church that had a similar approach to to liturgy. Mm-hmm. And then I lived with an intentional community my second year of seminary uh, with four other guys. And one of the things that were part of that was part of our collective rule of life was doing morning prayer together mm-hmm. uh, every weekday okay, morning. Okay. And so that was like another step where I was introduced to um, collects and 
uh, formal prayers, written prayers, as opposed to spontaneous extemporaneous prayers. Okay, um, okay. And not, not just on Sundays, but kind of in your quote-unquote quiet time or devotion, mm-hmm. that type yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of my incorporating that into my day-to-day spirituality. And then I got confirmed into the Episcopal Church um, in March of 2019. And then I started going to morning prayer at the Episcopal Church down the, ro- down the road from me that I mentioned earlier um, in August. And so that was like kind of my, my full robust introduction to uh, the full morning office. Um, and we would, of course, incorporate a lot of formal written prayers. And so I think around that same time on Twitter, there's sort of like a um, Anglican sub-community on Twitter, sure. affectionately okay, called okay. Weird Anglican Twitter. And so um, I saw someone tweet uh, a joke collect for when chips must be eaten quietly. And it was written in, <laughs> it was written in, the, in the font of the Book of Common Prayer. And that just like added to the comic effect of it. And I kind of just, I guess I think I just filed that away in my mind. Yeah. Um, come November, I had the opportunity to write a collect for my church's first celebration of the Feast of Peter Williams, who was our first rector and the second mm-hmm. black man ordained in the Episcopal Church. Okay. So that was my first foray into sort of, sort of liturgical writing. Sure. And around the same time, I had gone on a first date. And after the date, I was like getting way too into my feelings as I always do. I'm like a hopeless <laughs> romantic. And so I was thinking, what's a good way to channel this energy into something positive? So I decided to write a collect entitled for when one is enamored, but must be chill about it. <laughs> and it actually really, really helped me. Like, even though it was very playful, it was really like powerful for me as well to kind of redirect some of that energy away from like texting the woman too much, you know, (laughs) like getting way too ahead of myself emotionally on an internal basis. Um, And so I texted it to a couple friends and they, they found it funny and delightful. And then I tweeted it and it got a, a a great response. And so I decided to, to, to kind of incorporate that into my, my spiritual practices. And so at a certain point I started writing one per day and I always wanted to make sure that it was, um, just super relevant to the concerns of people my age or maybe a little bit younger. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, a collect for when you're getting trolled online, a collect for when you just got ghosted, Mm -hmm. uh, a collect for when you're about to shoot your shot with someone, just, (laughs) you know, prayers that, are in the style of the Book of Common Prayer, but concerns that just would not have been able to be addressed in 1979, the last oh, time yeah. it was right, yeah. updated. The way that I found um, your work was that one of my friends shared uh, shared your collect from for, from Veggie Tales, <laughs> which then I think I don't remember if I actually sent that to you or not, Emma. But I think I, I would, did read it after you sent me the it, account. <laughs> it it got my eye because I I never honestly. I did not ever watch Veggie Tales, but Emma did, and we've talked about it on an episode of Faithful. And so I was like, "Oh, this is something that Emma would appreciate." And then I, you know, like started going through the rest of your colleagues, and I was like, "These are all really funny and thoughtful, and also, you know, like genuinely faithful, which is not something that you see much on social media nowadays." <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It means it means a lot to hear you articulate it that way. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you put it very well. I think. For me, it's just always been about um, 
marrying the sort of heightened language mm-hmm. of the right one, traditional King's English, Queen's English, mm-hmm. with the very contemporary concerns and sort of vernacular of the millennial generation, Gen Z generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a way for me to be able to go back to the prayers because there was another time when I had a crush on someone and I had to go back to that same prayer again and it, it was helpful <laughs> yeah. again. And I think that's one of the coolest sure. things about written prayers is mm-hmm. that it's it's there for you when you need it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of been the the undergirding mindset behind the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, is one, are one of these prayers, like, do you find yourself going to one of these more often than the other ones or is it all kind of just... Uh, whenever it happens that's a great question i've definitely used the one the first one a lot (laughs) sure because i've been enamored (laughs) a lot (laughs) since november (laughs) um what other ones i'm gonna like pull up my my little database here yeah go for it Um, you got a spreadsheet yeah (laughs) try to try to stay organized um my friend just went through a really tough breakup, actually the um, the end of an mm-hmm. engagement. And so I had written uh, a collect for a breakup back in February when I got mm-hmm. dumped. And so it was great to be able to go to that, make a couple of edits and send that to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what other ones? I wrote one for the moment of anger or frustration, and I have to come back to that one fairly often. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the one I wrote one uh, for when one has the opportunity to be petty. I got to come back to that one every now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that um, that collects that you write for a for like a circumstance that is very that is very personal or something that you feel is very individualized. Mm -hmm. Do you find then that like, if you share something that is, that you feel is extremely specific that a lot of people say like, Oh, Hey, this, this applies to me in my situation, or I really could, I really uh, needed to hear that today. Has it been a unify? Have those been like unifying experiences or do you find that it's more like, this isn't applicable to me as much from from the people that interact with the posts. Absolutely, that's a fantastic question. Um, I think you're you're pointing out something that I've been always mindful of, which is the balance between. On one hand, it has to be real and relevant, and therefore, it's best if it comes out of a real personal experience you've had or a personal experience someone else has had and then requested that you write a collect for it. But then on the other hand, the the idea of a collect is to be as universal as possible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to be prayable by as many people as possible. So mm-hmm. to me, I think part of the art form um, and what makes it so fun but also challenging is balancing the tension between those two extremes. Sure. And I think yeah. that um, generally if if a prayer that I write is too individual and not universal enough, that becomes pretty clear in the amount of engagement I get with it. Sure. And so yeah. I just I just take that note and, you know, keep it in mind and move on to the next one. But yeah, sometimes there's ones that very much come from a intimate individual experience, but at the same time connect with 
the experience of my followers and my audience. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. definitely the sweet spot. Those are the ones that kind of just write themselves. Mm -hmm. There's other yeah. ones where um, there's something I feel needs to be written, but I don't exactly know how to put it into words. Mm -hmm. There's ones that people request from me, but, yeah. uh, and those ones, you know, sometimes take a lot of uh, editing and rewriting and a lot sure. of thought. But a lot, a lot of yeah. times the ones that come out of my own deep personal experience to just kind of like fall into the page. And, mm -hmm. um, those are the ones that often connect the best. Sure. Yeah. Do you find that there are, um, do you find then that there are a lot of people who, uh, come to you asking for collects to be written based on their personal experience? Have a lot of people been turning to you for that? Yeah. If that's something that you're comfortable discussing, I realize that people's prayer intentions can be extremely specific and private. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I can answer it generally. Um, so fairly early on when I was mainly on Twitter posting these, um, people would, yeah, begin to suggest different prayers that I could write, or they would DM me with a particular, um, intention that they would love to see in the form of a collect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some of them were, you know, very deep seated experiences with, um, eating disorders or anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, Relatable. <laughs> yeah. And I think for me, it was really cool to see how those requests helped me to flesh out the types of experiences that I was covering with my work oh, because sure. I am only one person and I only have so much experience mm -hmm. oh, and, yeah. oh, yes. uh, you know, right. And so I think for what, how I conceive of it now is I am one of the most seasoned doers of this kind of work. And so I understand when, even though there's someone that experientially is much more of an authority on a particular issue, I understand when they come to me to, to put it into the particular form of a collect, even though I would sometimes want to say, and sometimes I do say, um, Hey, like I have either no experience in this area or, I don't feel like this is right coming from me, mm -hmm. but I would love for you to give, you know, give it a try writing it. And then I can give you some pointers on just kind of the mechanics of it. Sure. Uh, yeah. But then other, other times I'll say, you know, this isn't necessarily my vantage point uh, most directly, but I think that I can, I can manage doing this in a faithful way. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, for example, um, a friend of mine, Akemeni Uwan from Truth's Table, who was actually the one who convinced me to to start the Instagram page in the first place. She, nice. uh, prior to that, uh, had requested a, a collect for black women specifically. And so that was an instance where I was like, eh, well, like, that's not my, that's not my vantage point, but I think I'm maybe close enough to it to write it, send it to you, get your edits, get your thoughts, get your sort of seal of approval and then to share it with other people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, but it's always it's always a struggle to to figure out how I can be an ally in my work mm -hmm. uh, without centering myself or sure. pur purporting to to yeah. speak on behalf of those people. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It is a uh, that is a process that takes a lot of thought and reflection, and so I'm very glad to hear that. That's something that you're doing, especially when 
up until about a month and a half ago, a lot of people were maybe not doing that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so reading through some of these, just like scrolling through your um, Instagram page, uh, some of these, just just reading the headline makes me laugh. Um, and I don't want to uh, get too distracted and actually read everything. But um, some of these like, uh, for when you want their lover, therefore have to get with their friends. <laughs> just yeah. really tickle me. Are there any that are your particular... That were like really fun and like mm. funny for you to write, like favorites in that respect. Yeah, that's a funny example because the prayer itself is actually not super playful. It's kind of a little yeah. bit more serious, but the title is funny because obviously mm-hmm. it's a reference to Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. So yes. sometimes I'm able to kind of like uh, sneak a like one piece of humor or playfulness into an otherwise more solemn prayer sure. and more solemn concept. Yeah. Um, other times, a uh, collect will be entirely playful, but like still reverent. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, sorry, this is not an answer to your question, but this no, is a great. fun little tangent. Yeah, I think one of the one it. of the one of the powerful things is the fact that humor is a rhetorical device, just as much as hyperbole or metaphors mm-hmm. or you know other things that we learn in AP English. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a memorization tool because mm-hmm. the the funnier ones, the sillier ones, the playful ones are the ones that I remember almost verbatim. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. To the point where like those prayers have been internalized. And of course, it's not as uh, it's not as powerful as memorizing scripture, but it is sort of like the same kind of effect to a lesser degree sure. of like mm-hmm. I have hidden these words in my heart. And a lot of the colleagues, of course, do incorporate scripture, but mm-hmm. um, I think. One of the one of the things I've been able to accomplish is um, demonstrating that God has a sense of humor, that mm-hmm. God cares about the things in our life that are humorous, and that humor is a is a is a means of grace. It's a it's a spiritual tool that we can sure. use to yeah, um, to firm ourselves up spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, back to your question. <laughs> um, some of the ones that are more playful that I've come back to that I've um, been most proud of. One of my one of my earliest ones was uh, a colleague for before hitting the dance floor. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoy that one. I don't get to use it as often as I would like. Sure, especially but... recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's been a good one. Um, I think people enjoyed the collect for when your jam comes on. Oh, I saw very, that one. Like, very similar vibes uh-huh. in the same vein. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, I think one of my favorite ones in terms of combining playfulness with solemnity is the collect for uh, flexing on the devil after overcoming temptation. Nice. Because on one <laughs> hand, it's like... Uh, why don't yes. we why don't we celebrate our victories over temptation more? That's actually just as important yeah. as confessing our sins. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but then on the other hand, the tone of it is like sort of playful and kind of uses vernacular. So I think maybe maybe that's yeah. the one that I'm most proud of in terms of having both of those elements. Sure. Okay, okay. I'm gonna have to go back and find that one. I don't remember reading yeah. it, but now I'm gonna have to. <laughs> yeah, a couple months ago. I think I posted it during Lent, like the, the beginning of Lent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God. Lent feels so far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So um, you mentioned that that your prayers, ha- that your collects have been posted both on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, which platform do you find has been a better a better I guess medium for for like communication and for sharing faith has either of them like been good for kind of sharing faith between you the person posting the content and then the people uh the audience who are you know reading the prayers and stuff right yeah that's a great question um they definitely have their strengths and weaknesses. Twitter, I think, of course, is a more discourse-oriented mm-hmm. platform mm-hmm. for better and for worse. And so when I was posting the colleagues on Twitter, it would be much easier to start a discussion around the concepts that were contained okay. within the prayer. And I think that led to some really good um, back and forth. Yeah. Um, sometimes... More so towards the beginning, I would get trolled by sort of like the liturgy police (laughs) within Weird Anglican Twitter. And of course, on Twitter, you cannot moderate the discussions that you start. And so sometimes that was... Was that good news? Um, I don't know how much you're on Twitter anymore, Terry, but they recently began rolling out a feature where you can only allow certain people to reply to your posts. Like you I did say, see that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I hope that it's a tool that people are using to everyone's benefit. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um. So yeah, that was kind of the pro and con of Twitter, Instagram. I was very resistant to it for a long time because in my mind, when I logged on Twitter, I wanted to see pictures of flowers and horses and cats. Um, I didn't want to read text. Right. Um, To me, Twitter was for text and Instagram was for images. Mm -hmm. But my sister and um, followers that I didn't know personally, but were very supportive. And then eventually Akemeni, uh, all suggested strongly that the project will actually do very well on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So at a certain point I decided that I was wrong and that they were all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I took it to Instagram. And I think what I've seen from Instagram is um, the, the, like the sort of direct message requesting of colleagues suggestions of particular Mm -hmm. colleagues to write has been, has been about the same um, between Twitter and Instagram um instagram has of course the feature of going live and so being able to integrate the daily evening prayer along mm-hmm. with the the posts that i make mm-hmm. yeah. creates a really nice synergy i think um sort of a feedback cycle sure um okay. which is not okay. available to me on twitter yeah um and then i just think it's easier in a sense to share and repost on instagram um, of course, you can retweet uh, a tweet, but I don't know. There's just something about posting it to your story or even like making your own grid post that to me feels a little bit more more in keeping with the kind of like, let's all pray this together sure. mindset. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Common prayer. Okay. For sure. And yeah. I mean, also on Instagram, you're not limited to, you know, 280 characters maximum. <laughs> right. So on Twitter, I was actually... Um, typing them out, taking a screenshot, and then posting them as a picture. Oh, sure. So that okay. helped me. 
But yeah, and that also kind of helps the branding of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To have like a consistent uh, font, font size, shape, length, yeah. etc. But yeah, it did it did look a little bit more professional and kind of visually appealing coming over to Instagram and um, okay, using okay. using the little backgrounds, mm-hmm. nice color. Yeah, they yeah. they remind me of like prayer cards. You know, the kind of the kind of prayer cards that you get with like major life events like hey, you're graduating high school, have a prayer card with a prayer about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great comparison. Do you find that then um, that there's a lot of, since you mentioned that Instagram is generally better in terms of like interaction with your audience, um, do you find then that there's a pretty good community of people that have kind of, um, I guess, grouped up around the collects? Yeah, yeah. Um, there have definitely been people that have been super consistent in coming to the evening prayer that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that has felt like a community within the community. Um, and then, yeah, I definitely see the same people sort of commenting and resharing, reposting, um, sort of like the, um, yeah, top proponents for sure. Um, and yeah, I've, I've tried from the beginning to make it very clear that even though I'm not going to follow you back, um, because I have a private account for that. Um, and of course I can't like form a real connection with now 6,000 people. Um, if you DM me, I will respond, Mm -hmm. um, either to make a request for a prayer or just to say, just to chat about anything. So I've tried to balance kind of that. The, the availability of the direct message with the closed kind of the boundary of I'm not going to follow back 6,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's helped to make it more sustainable for me because mm-hmm. um, being able to log on and just produce content on my public page, as opposed to also trying to consume content on my page makes it a lot more streamlined and compartmentalized for me. And then I'll oh, switch yeah. over to my private account and, of course, I'll follow people there. And, you know, if I make a connection with someone on the public page, I'll follow them on my private page and it'll be more of a, like, back and forth, sure. um, yeah. equal equal exchange type of relationship. Okay, I have I have one, like, big question, but there's absolutely no good way to segue into it. Emma, do you have <laughs> do you have any... Do you have any questions that relate to what we've been talking about? Because I don't have anything that's directly related to what we've been talking about. And I I don't want to just, like, <laughs> completely jump the train tracks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess I have one thought um, about something you mentioned just a little while ago. Um, about uh, the, like, um, I don't remember exactly the words you said, but, um, like, in the, like, evangelical church, how kind of, like, rigid things can feel and like wanting to be more like playful and or something do you know what I'm talking about yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and like I I totally related to that um as like just getting kind of like frustrated with like the monotony of um like the church and how it doesn't seem like things change and it's just the same thing over and over and you know like I that just gets kind of frustrating sometimes um so I really love um like, the the life that has been, like, breathed into um, some of, like, the older stuff, like, these would be. Um, 
like I think that's just really fascinating and I love seeing that and it, it really helps me in where I am at right now um to right. like read them and see them so yeah I just wanted to mention that I guess <laughs> thank you I really appreciate that yeah a lot of people have very graciously mentioned to me that the the sort of new territory that this project has sort of carved out mm -hmm. within the larger world of spiritual content online has helped them to get out of a rut mm -hmm. um, in their own spiritual life or um, helped them to articulate things to God that they either were feeling but didn't know how to articulate sure. or didn't even know that they were feeling. Mm -hmm. But then when they read the words, they were like, yes, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and I think, yeah, I think, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that God has done in me throughout the very twisty, turny road of my spiritual journey overall is um, putting as to kind of borrow from what I said earlier, putting those tools in my tool mm -hmm. belt. Um, mm -hmm. I still have a lot of evangelical spirituality that informs what I do. Sure. Um, but of course I'm, I'm in a mainline and even mm -hmm. Anglo Catholic uh, place now. Mm -hmm. And so I think the melding of those two things has, um, just created a spiritual option for people that they didn't know was available. Sure, yeah. And I think that's okay. that's been one of the more powerful things that I've seen come out of this whole project. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That reminds me that like more and more the um, I I feel like it is not maybe emphasized enough that like there there is only like one incorrect way to like worship god and that is by doing you know terrible and immoral things in his name <laughs> and right. that other than that all all roads lead to god and you can pick honestly whichever whichever one you want to go on mm. like yeah. there's there's definitely like when it when it comes to like worship and following of faith traditions i i want to go to like specifically like kids like all three of us have grown up in various you know forms of religious worship and religious bodies and i want to go and i want to specifically tell kids who are raised in environments like that like you know like there is if if there's something that you don't entirely connect with it's okay and that there's more there's more than one way to right. to to be able to worship in a in a heartfelt and meaningful way that you don't That's have right. to, you know, just do, that you don't have to do exactly the same thing that you do every Sunday, that even from like, even from church to church, there's mm -hmm. things that can be done differently that might speak more to you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, if you got, if you two are okay with it, uh, I have, I, we, we can jump to my, <laughs> my capital B big question sure, yeah. that I kind <laughs> of figured we could like, I guess, start heading out of the episode on <laughs> sure um yeah. so obviously like this is something also that you can answer emma um so terry what is what is something that gives you you faith and and hope and light um especially in you know light of capital e everything that's going on right now like mm -hmm. where where have where have you been seeing god in like current events what keeps you going yeah, love that question. Um, I have been 
perhaps most encouraged by encountering the concept and the movement of police abolition. Mm-hmm. Um, I was feeling very discouraged um, the week of George Floyd's murder because mm-hmm. the the, of course, insidious thing about policing in America is that it sets itself up as the solution to the problems that it creates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to imagine a way out right. unless you're willing to really engage with the concept of abolition, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which to me at first was too radical. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had been fully formed into the myth that the point of policing is to get the bad guy and to protect and serve, Mm -hmm. which as we're seeing around the country is not what it is structured to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. Right. Mm -mm. Um, Someone tweeted out the police cannot stop behaving with brutality, even in the middle of a movement against police brutality. This is them on their best behavior. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and that to me really crystallized sort of the the moment that we're in, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I had uh, you know begin to kind of like creep into the discourse, and I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are a lot more radical and a lot more learned than me on radical radicalism. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I saw someone tweet out a link to Alex Vitale's book, The End of Policing, and mm-hmm. to me that was very much a God moment where yeah um yeah god just revealed another way and um i went pretty quickly all in on the concept and um for me yeah for me it was that paired with um going on twitter and seeing for the very first time my entire entire twitter feed be uniform Mm-hmm. converge yeah. on one issue, yep. which mm-hmm. in itself was very encouraging to me. Yeah. Um, and then within that content, seeing, of course, videos and tweets about the abolition movement, all of that mm-hmm. together for me was very powerful and I definitely feel was a gift from God mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to give me faith in the idea that a different, better world is possible. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I don't know how much I have to add to that, but, like, um, Mm -hmm. I think it's really, you know, my feed is perhaps not as curated as it should be, and I don't have a lot of, like, Christian voices there all the time, especially in the midst of, everything that's happening right now and um (laughs) and uh so a lot of my like christian influences like you know my parents my Mm -hmm. church um are not as radical and they're still scared of um that change and you know haven't had um you know just haven't heard the right things or or whatever you know they're just not on the same page um Mm -hmm. so hearing uh like very like christ-centered um a man such as yourself, like, uh, speak about these, like, topics like that is, 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 was really good <laughs> to, for me to hear, Thank I you. think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. 
it, it's very good to to be able to have a discussion within a within a religious and faithful context that from either from neither Emma's nor my church is one that is happening. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I think that points that touches on another sort of tension that I try to balance with the project. Um, mm-hmm. I don't set out to be a thought leader. Sure. So I don't set out to, yeah. you know, start and moderate discourse around things like police abolition. Right. But at the same time, I recognize that God has given me a platform and people mm-hmm. who respect my opinions. Right. And so I try to steward that well without um, stepping on the fact that what I've branded this project as and what I mm-hmm. feel is God's calling for it is to be a devotional space as opposed to a pedagogical space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, it's I think there's moments where I realize, hey, like. There are people who maybe would not engage with these ideas as deeply if they did not hear it from me or hear it from someone that they uh, respected to a similar degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, because context so I, I try, is everything. Yeah, exactly. So I try to be really aware um, and a good steward of that without mm-hmm. falling too far on either side of like either quietism, like saying, this is a prayer account, so I'm not going to comment on these things. Or on the other hand, um, making it all about discourse and sort of getting away from the heart of what the project is. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is a, it is a very fine balance to strike. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of creative people from all across the board are having that same issue where, you know, like, Mm-hmm. You know, where is their space to comment on these issues without, you know, like, getting into, like, dangerous territory or turning people away who might be able to hear mm-hmm. the message a different way, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, how, yeah. How to discuss how to discuss current events and, you know, like, be able to be able to give a platform to current events and uh things like things like um the the entire gigantic racial disparity that exists in the united states Mm -hmm. um being able to talk about that while not completely alienating your listener base but also using the platform to the best extent while also not like not completely drowning people out in in content Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think your your account is definitely like a great example of like, you know, I think uh, like as an artist myself, and I know I follow a lot of artists who are in the same position. Like, I feel like I should be doing more. Like my drawings, like whatever I'm doing, mm-hmm. isn't enough to say what I want to say about anything that's happening in the world. But I think yours yours is a great example of using your platform and your skills and. Uh, like what you've already established to just keep doing the same thing in in the direction that you want. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that was honestly the I have I have one like wrap up question. Unless you guys would like to talk about this more. <laughs> I, Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, 
the last wrap-up question, Terry, is uh, everyone's favorite question from church camp, which is, what's your favorite Bible verse? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, boy. Look, there, there are some habits that get uh, they get ingrained in your in your faith personality and your faith relationship at a very early age and you never grow out of. That is very true. Um, I definitely don't have one that's like that I can roll off. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand. I ha- I was like, what's mine? And then I was like, I have to look this up because I don't remember exactly what it is. Yeah. Um. Song of Mary comes to mind because mm-hmm. it's part of the evening and morning prayer liturgy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that whole portion of Luke 2 would definitely be something sure. that I feel is very in keeping with the more radical uh, nature of our moment and the more radical nature of my mindset over the past several months. Um, when you say Mary song, do you mean like like my... My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and rejoices in God, my Savior. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then I would say maybe secondly, uh, Revelation 21 is always a go-to for me. Um, Just this description of the new Jerusalem, um, a God who wipes every tear from our, from our face, from our eyes, Um, the, the new heaven and new earth descending from the sky uh, God, there is no temple because God is the temple. There is no light because God is the light. Uh, to me, when I, when I get down or when I, when I feel uh, hopeless, that's to me a, a constant reminder of the fact that even in the darkest night that there's, that there's hope and that there's, um, a coming reality that is breaking into our current reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you talking about Darkest Night reminded me of, oh, hey, that's part of the Green Lantern Oath. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll have to make an episode about that, Emma. <laughs> maybe. That could, there there might the be something there. Who knows? Uh, so is that it? Are we going to move into the wrap-up then? Yeah, I, I've, I have run out of questions to ask. Okay, great. Um, well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us here. I thought this was a really great discussion. <laughs> Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It's very nice to get to to get to have like a, a very good discussion about faith because I I honestly don't remember when the last time was that I had one that was not in the context of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the invitation. This was really wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to um, plug before we move into like the our little wrap up spiel? Yeah. I mean, as where would you like to be found on the internet? Do you have anything you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, of course. Um, as we've mentioned several times, my Instagram account is at prayers from Terry. Um, I'm on Twitter at Terry J all day. Um, a little embarrassing but i not embarrassing enough to change it and start all the way over <laughs> <laughs> yeah honestly um, that the, that's the point we should just kind of like you just have to own your online handles <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um i'm also a songwriter and producer and you can find my music at terryj.bandcamp.com um nice. hoping to get back 
more into that particular project in the next coming years. Sure. But yeah, those would be the, the three main online presences that I have. Great. I know. Cool. I'm going to go check them out then. <laughs> ah, yeah, thank definitely. you. Awesome. Um, well, here we're going into the wrap up. Uh, Faithful is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. You can be heard on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pippa, all those places where you find podcasts. Our theme music is Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketsa. And we can be reached through an email at faithfulpod at gmail.com or through our Twitter at faithfulpods with an S. Uh, Mm -hmm. And um, if you uh, really enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to share it with um, your friends um, or anybody you think might uh, be impacted by it. Um, Go Mm -hmm. follow Terry, um, follow us on Twitter, interact with us. We just love to uh, hear back from our audience. so yeah. as always, please do so. Yeah. Oh, also, this is this isn't in our like in our in our written wrap up that we use as a reference. Uh, I feel it's topical to mention. Um, this is your this is your episode reminder from Faithful to everyone. Please wash your hands. <laughs> wear wear a mask if you're going to be out in public. Um, that includes if you are uh, participating in a in a demonstration or a protest of any kind, do your best to keep yourself and those around you safe. We know that you will. We just I, I like to remind people. <laughs> sure. um, also, uh, if you are someone who is not able to be physically present at a protest or a demonstration for whatever reason, I encourage you to seek out uh, charities and helpful organizations in your area. Um if there is not like a community bail fund in your area, um, I believe that I think that Black Lives Matter is organizing like a national bail fund that you can donate to. Um, also, check out like what kind of outreach opportunities there are available in your community. You know, maybe help out with a food drive. Um, yeah, there are all- don't don't yeah donate to like your local your local. Blood pantry, blood bank, not blood pantry. <laughs> don't don't it to your local blood bank because um that's that's always a resource that is in need, mm-hmm. and you know just help help each other. Keep an eye out and help each other and stay faithful. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, off book, off book. Uh, PSA concluded. Perfect. Uh, all right. Well, we will um, see you guys in the next coming weeks. Uh, again, thank you, Terry, for joining us. Uh, and we'll hope maybe we'll have Absolutely. you back soon sometime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep, Keep the, the faith. That was great. (laughs) I'm going to stop before I clap any more into my microphone. (laughs)